everyone, and welcome to another episode of Cinema Joes. Justin here with Alex, uh, just Alex this time. And this is one of our mini episodes. It's our Out of the Past segment where we talk about older films, uh, at least 10 years or older, uh, because our main podcast tends to focus more on the recent stuff. And uh, I thought I'd start with you, Alex. Uh, what's been good for you this month? Sure. So, you know, we've been cooped up inside uh, for a little while now. <laughs> and uh, mm. as a result, I've been kind of, you know, I've been checking in on some stuff that I haven't seen in a while um, and some older stuff. And one of those is a, a classic film that I think that you'll uh, recognize. It's the 1980 film directed by Irvin Kirshner, written by George Lucas, called uh, The Empire Strikes Back. I may have heard of it. Yeah, I think, I mean, you know, it's a little, it's a smaller one, but, you know, it has like a good cult reputation. It's no battle beyond the stars. (laughs) But, um, but no, I wanted to check this out again just because, you know, I have Disney Plus now. So I have access to it whenever I want, which is nice. And it's all the, the 4K restorations. And, uh, so I, so I decided to check it out again. I watched it, um, honestly, not that long ago, actually, only maybe, six months ago uh but this is still a pretty new film for me because this is only the third time that i've seen it um and watching it for a third time uh some of the things that really jump out to me is just by the way this is obviously the second of the three original star wars films uh it's widely considered the best of all of the star wars films um and now that i've seen the complete skywalker saga uh as they're referring to it uh i feel like i can now properly assess it as yes it is definitely the best of the three of of the of the entire franchise so far um but i do think that uh the last Jedi is still like, exceptional and maybe number two in that list. Um, but some things that jumped out to me about uh, star Wars, the empire strikes back this time around is just how great the production design is. Like that's something that I think obviously a lot of people have said, but it just like the sharp, especially in like those early sequences uh, on Hoth, like the, the way in which like the whites, just pop on the screen so strongly just really creates this like really strong sense of place and just a really dynamic visual set of uh like a a dynamic visual uh template to work with that i really like um and i also you know i mean it's hard to say anything new about a movie like this that has been spoken about so much but i do think that it's that it's notable that um previous like in the most recent era a lot of the complaints around the star wars films of this like sequel trilogy that we've gotten is that oh like the main characters aren't together enough they're separated too frequently and like this movie is all about the characters being torn apart and being in separate like places and it works Mm. so well because of that because there's this underlying tension throughout the entire film of like when will our characters finally get to each other will they get to each other in time will like it pay off in a way that our hero can save us and stuff so i think that that is like an underrated quality of how good this uh this movie is um and also just that carrie fisher is just 
fantastic. She gives, I think, uh, you know, Harrison Ford obviously has like the biggest star making performance throughout the trilogy. But I really think that this is probably Carrie Fisher's best performance of the three films. She's just so dialed into that kind of like screwball romantic comedy uh, vibe uh, that she has with Harrison Ford. And yet she also gets to be this commanding leader. And just it just she has so much charisma on screen and it just makes me sad that she didn't get more opportunities later in her career to really just show off what a great actress she is because she really she should have been a much bigger star than she was ever allowed to be i mean justin when was the last time that you saw empire strikes back the last time i would have seen this was actually for uh A version of this podcast, uh, when it was uh, me, Noah, and Casey, we before uh, the Force Awakens came out, we reviewed um, the original trilogy. We did episodes on each of them, and I didn't. <laughs> I think going into it, I was like, okay, I remember Empire being the strongest one, and it just kind of blew. It kind of blew me away when I saw it. I was. I was struck by the contrast in tone between that between the way that Empire opens and the way that like Star Wars opens, the way that that the original that A New Hope uh, begins and ends. Um, the the way it just like puts you into this world, which is so dire, where things just seem like they're on the brink, like the the Rebel Alliance is about to be wiped out in this moment, and it's just like. It just was like this is a whole new ball game <laughs> compared to the original one, and I love the original Star Wars, but there really is a way in which Empire deepens and darkens a lot of the ideas that are brought up in that first movie. Yeah, so that's probably the last time I saw it, but just since then, I really, I think because it had been so fond in my memories, especially because I believe the last time I'd seen it before that, I was uh, still a kid. Um, it really did kind of reinforce it made me recognize like okay not all like all the movies i have nostalgia for some of them like there's a genuine reason why that nostalgia is legitimate (laughs) and that was definitely one of those movies um so yeah i'm a huge fan of it as well i think i think things you said about the characters being separated and how that's not really talked about a lot i think is really true i love how when luke makes that decision that he's going to make his friends the priority. I think maybe that's not the smartest choice, but it's such a choice that's consistent with him and is such a testament to the kind of person he is. And, um, and he does pay for it. And I just, and the film really carries that through. So there's just, there's a lot of, there's just so many great things happening in in this movie. And it's, it's undeniably my favorite of the, uh, of, well, all the star Wars movies that have been released. (laughs) So, yeah. And the other thing that jumped out to me the most is how annoying C-3PO is. <laughs> I feel like if that movie was released today, a lot of like fans would be like, fire C-3PO. Like, he's so obnoxious. Why is he there? He's always getting in the way. Like, I feel like, uh, you know, nostalgia goggles have really helped that character uh, and its reputation because he is really annoying in the, in all of those movies. But I think most of all in uh, Empire where he just keeps being just like keeps getting in the way of everything that you want as an audience. It's honestly well deployed. Like it's a great use of that cat of that type of character, but it is very frustrating. It's just it's frustrating in all of the best <laughs> ways most of the time. That's funny. Yeah, I, I barely remember C-3PO in that movie for some reason. <laughs> 
Maybe that's the reason why. Maybe I put it out of my mind. <laughs> He's constantly just like keeping uh, Han and Leia from making out and just oftentimes saying the worst possible like thing that you could say in the moment when you're in like a tight situation. You're just like, oh no, are we going to make it? And he's like, well, actually, we're probably not going to make it because of this statistic. And you're just like, shut up, C3PO. <laughs> and then he gets, and then he gets dissembled and then uh, Chewie tries to put it back together and he puts his head on wrong and he gets mad at him. It's like, dude, he's trying. Like, you know, there's all sorts of that kind of stuff. <laughs> Um, I did also want to mention um, two of the – so I think uh, Lucas is – it looks like Lucas is credited on the story, but the other writers that are credited here, Lawrence Kasdan, um, who of course is one of the – you know probably yes. a, a very well-known uh, screenwriter. And also Lee Brackett, who um, I think when we talked about this, I tried to bring her up because I think a lot of the screwball stuff is a lot of her influence because of the kinds of films that she worked on in sort of the classic age of Hollywood, things like The Big Sleep and Rio Bravo. And I just feel like that's I – th- I just – I didn't know when I watched this for the first time that there was any of that influence, but when I watched it like as an older person, having seen a lot more of those older styles of film, see that screwball style, I was like, wow, that's really cool. Like, I, I feel like I'm seeing her influence on this movie, which is not something I typically associate with Star Wars. So I did want to give some credit to them as well. And also speaking of the writing, uh, Carrie Fisher is known to have uh, rewritten many, if not most of her dialogue uh, lines yeah. in the film, uh, which is mm-hmm. an, a good explanation for why later Star Wars films lack the kind of, you know, pop and snap and wit that yeah. Carrie Fisher brings to her role. And I believe, hasn't she, I know, she, so she she's um, done other screenplays as well, but I think she's also been like an uncredited script doctor on yeah, Several she was like well. throughout the yeah. 80s and early 90s, she was like a go-to yeah. script doctor when she couldn't get any jobs yeah. acting or anything like that. She was oftentimes making all of your favorite movies funnier without any credit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, I just think that's it's one of those films that deserves its reputation. And uh, I think just, I don't know, just seems to uh, seems to be one of those things that has like has a reputation it does and i think we'll always have that reputation Um, so what did what did you see uh this month so uh i saw something well a little bit different i guess uh i decided to watch the host the uh 2006 film from bong joon ho that name has of course been uh very prevalent on this podcast (laughs) as we've talked quite a bit about parasite um and uh, this is uh, it's an earlier film of his. It takes place in uh, South Korea. It's basically Bong Joon-ho's version of a monster movie. And while the, the English title is The Host, uh, the Korean title just translates to monster. The host of the title refers to uh, something that happens later on when we find that supposedly this monster is a carrier of a virus. I'll get a little more into that as I talk about this film. As you might expect, being a film from Bong Joon-ho is taking many different genres, many different tones, and mashing them together, but not with any kind of reckless abandon, but with a real masterful stroke, I think. Um, this centers around a family, a poor family, uh, the park's who the daughter of the family is actually kidnapped by uh, this monster, which I should mention the monster was created 
uh, by <laughs> at the insistence of uh, a military, an American military pathologist who has encouraged his uh, Korean partner to pour toxic waste down the drain and uh, which empties into the Han River. And this very entertaining montage we see as uh, the effects of this toxic waste end up uh, creating this this monster which uh doesn't have a name per se but looks like this horribly misshapen cross between like a fish and a frog um i actually think the design of the monster is one of the more entertaining <laughs> aspects of it but uh this monster apparently kidnaps uh the daughter and it's up to this family which is incredibly dysfunctional uh, and does not seem very well equipped uh, to attempt a rescue mission, but they are going to attempt a rescue mission. <laughs> and uh, that's what the film is about. And it's incredibly wild and entertaining. Uh, there is a ton of interesting social commentary going on in this movie. Uh, I mentioned before about the American pathologist. I think there's a lot in here about uh, something we don't really think about is that we still have a lot of uh, influence uh, and and technical like military occupation in uh in the koreas and i think this film is kind of bringing that to the surface um but also as we learn more about this monster we start to realize that really it seems to be as as dangerous as this monster is the uh news that is being spread about it uh primarily by american sources seems to be even more create even more panic and even more distress than is uh probably necessary and at the time i watched this it was before um the current epidemic that we are facing as we're recording this uh but as i've thought about it i've kind of think you know here's a situation where you have a very real threat that is compounded by misinformation and false information and both those things can exist and be true and i feel like there's nothing truer than the current situation that we're living in and for that reason it's it's kind of stuck around in my mind a little bit i i mentioned before also about the the sort of uh mixtures of tones going on in this film uh there are several scenes that are simultaneously comedic and tragic which i think we saw a lot of in parasite so it's really nice to see echoes of that um, I don't want to give too much away, but there's a moment uh, with one character basically right before he realizes he's about to die and has this moment of realization that is part of the reason why it's so funny and so poignant is because of the way the film has built up that character and his relationship with one other character uh, up to that moment. And it really makes a moment like that work. Um, so there's a lot of interesting sort of tonal uh, mixing going on here. I think there are certain moments maybe toward the end where it gets a little bit like, especially in the middle of the film, I think it sags a little bit, uh, as they're trying to figure out where this monster is. And they're like basically running around <laughs> the sewers. Um, and, uh, which is where apparently it makes its, its home. Um, but I still think just the way that the way that he mixes all these things together, is just kind of masterful and there's some great that the cast members here are really excellent uh song kang ho who played the patriarch in um in parasite is here playing this like slacker with like a heart of gold basically and you've got um Baiduna, who is probably best known for her roles at least in america things like cloud atlas and sense eight 
um, who plays uh, Song Kang Ho's sister, who is this champion archer who is really talented, but seems to like doubt her abilities a lot of the time. And some, there's actually a case where she runs out of time during a competition and as a result gets a bronze medal. And this is something that almost like she almost wears that bronze medal like an albatross like, around her neck for, for the whole movie. And uh, and it's it's interesting as her archery skills get tested against this monster, too. Um, so there's a lot going on here. Um, it's maybe a little bit ungainly, but at the same time, it's just I think it's just undeniably fun. And um, I think shows uh, shows you the kinds of talents that I think Bong Joon-ho would continue to hone leading to something like Parasite. So for that reason alone, I think it's absolutely worth seeing. That's great. That's it's that's long been on my list to see like way before Parasite happened. Like I've been hearing people telling me the host and Memories of a Murder or like films that like, you absolutely yeah. have to watch that they're so incredible and I just haven't gotten around to it, but I definitely want to maybe um with more free time. I'll just, I'll give it a look. Um, yeah. But yeah, because I mean, I he's know. just such a talented, uh, he's such a talented filmmaker. Yeah. And I, I don't know where, um, so like I actually rented this on Amazon. It was not. Uh, yeah. It's I based, don't know if it's I just looked it up. It's, it's not, anywhere. it's not streaming anywhere. You have to rent it, but okay. it's, it seems yeah. worth the $4. I absolutely. Yeah. It was like one of those cases like, well, I don't mind paying this little for, <laughs> for something that uh, for a filmmaker that I greatly respect and admire. Um, but yeah, I do plan on seeing, at some point I do plan on seeing Memories of Murder and Mother, which I think is his other really acclaimed film. I, I want to say this is like if someone did a sci-fi original movie, but did it really well. <laughs> That's kind of what this movie basically takes the premise of a sci-fi original movie with like an actual filmmaker behind it. So if that sounds like your bag, that's what this film offers you. 